Welcome to Meet the Filmmakers at the Apple Store, Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome our guest moderator, executive editor at Empire Magazine, Ian Nathan. Thank you, thank you. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, let me just start this evening's thing by saying uh, I was lucky enough to see The Lone Ranger a couple of weeks ago. And I say I, I went in not really knowing what to expect. An empire, we're not immune to kind of gossip that surrounds the movie business. And I, I didn't really know what to expect, but I, I can honestly tell you, hand on my heart, I had the most entertaining two hours that I've ever had in a cinema, well, certainly this summer. It's, it's a marvelous movie. Um, it's got comedy, it's got action, it's got madness, um, and it finishes with the most insane uh, chase scene you've probably ever seen. Um, that's just me telling you that. That's not rehearsed lines I've been given by Disney or anything like that. Um, but as a little foretaste, why don't we have a look at the trailer? God, look at you, city boy. Why would you ever want to come back here? It's my home. Little brother, I hereby deputize you a Texas Ranger. It's dance. To the outlaw, make no mistake, law and order has come to the West. It's a nice hat, by the way. Didn't have a bigger one? <laughs> Give me your hand! No! From the great beyond, a vision told me the great warrior would help me on my quest. One who has been to the other side and returned. All I know is that a man killed my brother. If we ride together, we ride for justice. Justice is what I seek. Let's do this. We're looking for a man. He was in about a week ago. Take me over this. You find the traitor. You find the man who killed your brother. I want to show you something. What could you buy with all that? A country, Captain. Who controls the railroad? The cavalry. Everything. If these men represent the law, I'd rather be an outlaw. That is why you wear the mask. It was a ranger riding a white horse. Got some lunatic Indian with him. They're coming for you. Scared, aren't you? You should be. You can also see it's one of the most handsome films of the summer. It's what I like to call locations. Anyway, without further ado, let me introduce you very special people tonight. First of all, the producer of the film, um, he's a legend in Hollywood, Mr. Jerry Bruckheimer. Good to see you. Next is the, uh, the director of the film, uh, it's Mr. Gore Verbinski. And last, but by no means least, is the Lone Ranger himself, Mr. Army Hammer. Okay, I can just start with the, the origins of the film. Um, 
Jerry and Gore, you kind of worked together a lot on the, the First Street Pirates films. I wonder at what point you guys felt The Lone Ranger was kind of ripe for reinvention. Well, you know, I'm from Detroit. I grew up there, and The Lone Ranger originated in Detroit in 1933, even though I wasn't around then. But uh, I, I was a big fan of the television show. When I came home from school, grade school, and I turn on my TV, there was a Lone Ranger. And, you know, I became a cowboy and had the six guns and the hat. And so from the time I was six or seven, I was watching the Lone Ranger. And about four years ago, five years ago, the rights became available. And that intellectual property has been around since 1933, and people still remember the Lone Ranger. So we felt it would be fun to revisit the West and kind of do it through the Lone Ranger. Cool. What was your, your thoughts when the idea of the Lone Ranger came out, what crossed your mind? It just seemed like a great opportunity to explore the relationship between uh, Lone Ranger and Tonto. Um, Jerry brought it up in, I think, like 2006. We were making the second pirate movie, and he was getting the rights. Um, and uh, it just seemed like a really fun, you know, I'm a huge fan of the Western, and uh, it just seemed like a great opportunity to sort of turn it on its head. I mean, obviously the younger generation. What, what did you know of the Lone Ranger before, before the role came up? Did you have any knowledge of him? Yeah, I mean, I, I was familiar uh, with the Lone Ranger, but mostly probably through osmosis because my dad grew up with the Lone Ranger. It was a, a big deal for him, and whenever we'd come on television, he'd kind of pull me in and be like, Army, Army, get over here. Uh, no, this is the Lone Ranger. He's the good guy. This is Buddy Tonto. This is you know Butch Cavendish or you know whatever happened to be going on in the show. So uh, I wasn't a fan by any means. I didn't grow up with it a part of my life. Uh, so I obviously had a lot of fun going back and watching the old episodes, listening to the radio show, and familiarizing myself more with it. Now, obviously, a uh, person not here and pivotal to the whole film is, is Johnny Depp. And I gather he's, he's a producer on the film, and obviously he had very particular ideas about how the Tonto character would be portrayed. Can you just sort of tell me about what he brought to the film and what he wanted from the film? Well, there's a tremendous respect and reverence for the, the plight of the Native Amer American people, and I think he... he brings that he, he brought um you know we just talked very early on about tonto from from you know uh, um, you know what was interesting uh, to me and 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 in talking to johnny and, and jerry early on was to sort of explore this thing from tonto's perspective you know to sort of play with the apprentice master relationship and sort of say well wh what if the what if the apprentice was sort of you know telling you the story and sort of uh, claiming to have created the master and, and, and how that sort of um, changes uh, everything. You know, is he completely trustworthy? Is he sort of suffering from the early stages of, you know, uh, dementia? Or is, does he have some sort of connection to the spiritual aspects of things? And I think the, the enigmatic nature of that is sort of really compelling. It allows you to, to play with the story structure and... and, and you know, fragment the story and, and from time to time wonder if, you know, he's going to pull it all to end, is it going to coalesce in the end, you know, and it's a little bit, um, I don't know, it just keeps, keeps you on edge and it's, it's fun. With the success of the, the, the Pirates movies, you know, in place, was there a certain sense you were, you were looking to a, a model that the Pirates have given you that you could then adapt to, to the characters? Well, not so much. Edge? I mean, it's so different. I mean, uh, other than the, the grand tapestry of a action-adventure genre, I think, um, because it's a two-hander. I mean, I, I think, certainly from my perspective, working with, you know, Jack Sparrow or Rango, those are, those are sort of vehicles for 
to, for Johnny to sort of run away with the movie. And we talked very early on about the, you know, the need to kind of be more gracious and, and to, this is, um, you know, they're going to lob balls back and forth, you know, and they're sort of dancing together. So it's a, it, we haven't seen Johnny do a, a sort of two-hander that I can remember. And um, so in that way, it's completely different. Also, Jack is sort of ego and, and, and Tonto is very id, you know. And, and so um, I think from a story standpoint and from a character standpoint, it couldn't be more different, but, um, but all within the framework of, you know, what the sort of price of admission gets you, which is a sort of great, great, grand landscape and the sort of action ad adventure genre. Army, if I can ask you, um, in the film, it becomes almost like a comedy double act, you know, quite a classical kind of comedy. How easy was that working on set to create that tone and to kind of knock off each other and, and have fun? You know, I, I got to say, it was, it was, it felt easy. It didn't feel like work, uh, partially just because of, you know, exactly what Gore said, how gracious Johnny was. Uh, the chemistry between the Lone Ranger and Tonto is a, a big driving factor of this movie. It's what keeps people engaged, it, you know, what makes you feel like you're there and a part of it. And it's, uh, it's, the whole, it's the whole driving force of this movie. So we spent a lot of time talking about it, a lot of time in, you know, pre-production meetings, sitting around talking about other movies, you know, oh, you should go watch Midnight Run, watch the relationship they have there, go back and watch such and such movie, you know. Um, we just, we spent a lot of time with it because it was something that, you know, we wanted to do right. Yeah. And who did you think was the funny guy and who was the straight man? Uh, yeah, it, it silver. Yeah, silver. Silver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, the film, as we've seen from the trailer, is, is full of action, it's full of stunts. But you get into some pretty hairy places. I mean, you're on top of a very spindly tower on the edge of a cliff. Yeah. You're on trains, you're on horses. How scary did it get? <laughs> with, the, with the spirit platform specifically, uh, I remember reading it in the script, you know, seeing Lone Ranger wakes up on platform covered in mud and horse crap and, you know, everything else that's kind of just been beat onto him. And, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, oh, they'll probably build it about this tall, paint the bottom <laughs> of it green. You know, I'll kind of wake up and, you know, there'll be the camera and the crew. I'll get up with a stepladder. And uh, we're like, how are we going to do this? And it's like, oh, we're going to put you way up on that thing. But don't worry, there's a helicopter. It's like, oh, good, good, good. And I think we yeah, were up there. It almost blew you off. Yeah. Yeah, and e each time the helicopter would go over, that that structure felt like it was made of saplings. It would just it would sway by about three feet each direction, and I mean, I I spent probably four hours up on that thing just waiting to get the perfect light, and uh, I was convinced the whole day I was going to die. Are you good with heights? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those you know forced immersions. I'm better with heights now, I guess. <laughs> and was there a kind of a, a training for you to you know, how good a rider were you before the film? You know. It was a cowboy boot camp, am I yeah. right, I think? Yeah, they, they, all the actors went to cowboy boot camp. Uh, it was a working horse ranch in just outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, they basically loaded us up in a van, drove us out to a horse ranch, kicked us out and said, we'll pick you up when you're cowboys. We had to learn how to ride horses, throw lassos, crack bull whips, load and unload pistols, fire from the hip, you know, all the things that would be actual survival skills back then. And how hard is it? You know, the dream, it's every young boy's dream to, to be a cowboy, but I imagine it's harder than it looks. Dude, it's hard. It's, it's so hard that it is a miracle people are there now. It's amazing people survived it. It's like you walk through your house and you catch your toe on the leg of a chair and you break the skin, you can get an infection and die. You know, I mean, there was, there was, no, there was no creature comforts. If you woke up in the middle of the night and had to use the restroom, God help you. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a rough time of life. Okay, I think it's time to look at the first clip. 
score. I wonder if you can sort of give us a little praise here of what, what was going on there. Madness. Uh, <laughs> Total yeah. madness. Yeah, the, when we had a... Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think when you put actors on top of trains and you're really moving at 40 miles an hour, you get a different performance uh, and a real kind of, you know... People tend to squat a lot more when you're really moving, you know? So the blue screen version would have been very much, you know, craft service table, donut, and... Uh, you know, no fear in the eyes, and there's a definite, you know, sense of um, the squat position, and yeah, then also that train. I mean, the, the clip ends there, but the train slides almost, um, uh, you know, crushing them, and, and certainly there was a take where it, it didn't uh, stop. Yeah, it sort of. It uh, in fact almost crushed it us. It almost crushed us. And yeah. when you're an actor and you're sitting there, and the thing comes too fast and then you look around and the camera guys have all just run yeah. and they're behind you and they just and we're chained together with nowhere to go so if it's coming in it's just a sandwich I mean that's all there is to it <laughs> one of the that, and actually there was, uh, there was one stunt in there that that was one of the stunts that they wouldn't even let us try the one where the guys hit the ground and tumble and start rolling uh, and, and we you know I remember asking before I was like so you don't, you don't want us to even try that one and they said no, no. Um, in rehearsals, the guy who was practicing it broke his back, so we think we're just not even going to try. I was like, oh my God, a guy broke his back? He's like, yeah, yeah, but he's going to coordinate now, so he got a promotion. He's all right. <laughs> like, okay, maybe yeah. we'll edit that one out. Yeah. Um, one of the great things about the movie is you, you've taken kind of classic Western movie tropes and ideas, and you've kind of given them some energy, and you reinvented them and made them kind of blockbuster. I wonder if you can tell us about the discussions you had about you know, how far you could take the Western. I mean, how much is it a Western and how much isn't it, I suppose is the question. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> that's a kind of profound question. I mean, I think it's, um, there's really no, no limit. I think that the, the tropes are there to be sort of played with and, and you know, um, contemporary audiences, you know, it takes a lot to sort of get people f to, to you know, get in the car and, and come down to the movie theater, you know. So um, it's packed full of energy. And we've, we've taken, you know, traditional ideas, horses and, and trains. And, you know, there's no, there's nothing, uh, you know, futuristic about it. It's very kind of heavy and, and, and you have, you know, mass and inertia and transfer of energy. And we've sort of just um, taken it up a notch or two, <laughs> you know. Jerry, I wonder if you can, you can fill us in on the, the sheer logistical challenge of creating like, trains and tracks and, and shooting in a desert environment like that. You know, what does it take to do that? Uh, a lot of guts and manpower and money. And, uh, but, you know, it was r quite a challenge. We, we built five miles of railroad track in the New Mexico desert in a loop so Gore would never have to back the trains up, you know, and it kept going forward. Uh, and that was quite a challenge. We built uh, a train, uh, locomotives, that didn't work. So that became even a bigger challenge. We filmed in five different states all throughout the West, from Arizona to New Mexico to Colorado to Utah to Arizona. So just the logistics of moving the horses and the train and the, uh, the wranglers. Each horse has to have his own wrangler. And the trailers for the horses and, you know, transporting them and housing them and feeding them. It was like moving an army across the West. And, you know, we went from almost winter where we had snowstorms to 
wind sandstorms and you're, you're picking sand out of your teeth for a week and your ears and uh, then we'd have hail, we'd have a hailstorm, and then we'd move to uh, Moab, Utah, and, and it would be 120 degrees, uh, you know, so it was quite a challenge. And then we'd go up to, you know, Angel Fire, which is uh, in New Mexico, and it's nice and cool. It's a ski resort during the, during the, the winter, so uh, you got, you, we had some freezing temperatures in, in Creed, Colorado, which is a beautiful mining town that we filmed at. Uh, you know, it was it was a real trek across the West uh, with an army of sometimes eight, nine hundred people. Uh, so we we really had a had a great experience doing it. It was uh, challenging and and exciting at the same time and and exhausting. Did it get, give you a, to all of you a newfound respect for those guys back in the, the 30s yeah, and 40s who were making them week in year in year out? I mean, it's a it's a really a lost art that um, you know you get Cavalier, you see people jumping from trains to horses and on you know in hundreds of movies and you go out there to photograph it and you realize that train's not going to stop and the horse could go left or right or, or get spooked and um, it's it's incredibly dangerous and I think the the uh, you know the, the masters and, uh, and what they went through and, and, and the entire crew I mean we had we had stuntmen who had to call their grandfathers and and you know ask them how did you do this? Because it is, uh, you know, in the heyday, there was, you know, you, you had hundreds of people who could fall off horses and lay horses down, and, um, you know, they're just not around, and everything's like wires now, and everything's uh, completely different. So you've, you've got a, a younger group of stuntmen sort of learning, uh, you know, the sort of ancient craft. I mean, how did you get on with Silva? <laughs> you know, it's funny. They normally say don't work with kids or animals, uh, <laughs> but these horses, we, we had a... Um, we were really lucky. We had a, a horse trainer by the name of Bobby Lovegren. And he's trained horses from everything from Zorro to Seabiscuit to our movie. I mean, if, if you need horses to do something specific, war horse, if you need a horse to do things, something specific, you call Bobby Lovegren. He was able to train a horse to walk up to a six-pack of beer on the floor and pop open a bottle, pick it up, drink it, put it back in, pop the next one, drink it, put it back in, and go all the way around the six-pack. It's obviously not full of beer, but, <laughs> you know, what, what do you say to a horse to begin that process of go up to this and open these? I, I don't even get it, but, you know... Um, whisper. Yeah. He, he, had a, he had a thing of, of wood that was about a foot and a half by a foot and a half square, and when Gore would say... I need the horse to end up right here. Bobby would say, right here? And he'd go, yeah, and he'd put the piece of wood down. And he'd go, okay, let's get the horse back to the beginning mark. And he'd walk the horse around a mountain or anywhere and let the horse go and say, go get your mark. And the horse would literally just walk up and boom, boom, both of his front feet right on it. And Army's buried head is right there. Yeah. <laughs> so so if he steps one oh over, yeah. it it's it's a bit lights out. I wonder if you could Concerning. explain a bit about, you know, it's not really a double act, it's a you know, triple act, isn't it? with the horse. Could you explain Silver's place in the, in the mythology of Lone Ranger as, as you've seen it? He's Jack Benny. <laughs> <laughs> Silver is Jack Benny. He sort of exists, you know, he can break the fourth wall. He's in, he's in a different space completely. And did you teach him to climb a tree? Or is that giving too to much away? Him. Yeah. Well, that's the he volunteered. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why don't we, we see the, the second clip? It's my brother's fist. Eyes cut by the bullets that killed him. From the great beyond, he will protect you. And the ones you love. You want me to wear a mask? 
The men you seek think you are dead, Kimosabe. Better to stay that way. All right. But if we ride together, it's to bring these men to justice in a court of law. Is that understood? Justice is what I seek, Kimosabe. Now, obviously, for those who know the Lone Ranger, he used to wear some kind of sky blue jumpsuit, didn't he? And he, he doesn't anymore. Can you tell me a little bit about the evolution of, of the new look? We were just, we weren't going to do that. <laughs> yeah, we just, Thank we God. We wouldn't be having that. Yeah. It was, Not at all. When I, when I saw it, it was black and white, so there was no sky blue. It was <laughs> yeah. just, uh, it was that long ago. So I think Gore went along with that look. Yeah, uh, I, I remember meeting with, with Penny Rose, who was the costume designer on the, on the project, and the first thing I asked her was, please tell me I don't have to wear light blue lycra. <laughs> she was like, darling, no, how atrocious. And then immediately we, she went into how, you know, talking to Gore and all that, everything had to be period correct. All of the fabrics that we used were fabrics that were accessible and available then. Uh, there were no zippers on any of the costumes. It was all done with buttons. It was all done with ties. It was all done period correctly. And did, were there rejected ideas? Were there various things? Or did it, you hit on it quite quickly? There's always rejected ideas. I mean, that's how you kind of pull focus on it. You know, you try things on, try to keep working it. Um, uh, you know, it's a creation myth, so, you know, that's the scene where the hat fits for the first time. In fact, there's some bit of humor when, the, when, when Army first gets his hat. It's sort of a, you know, it's not quite right. And I think the whole, um, you know, it's how the mask fits, how the hat fits, and you can see sort of two different uh, ideas of, of justice. That look in Johnny's eye when he says, we, we do this for justice, is like, right. You know, my, you know, and I think his, you've got sort of vengeance and and, and justice and revenge and two kind of competing ideologies and laws of man, laws of nature. And, and that's sort of uh, the first kind of real serious uh, scene where they unite in, in a quest. But um, they don't, they're, not <laughs> they're not in it for the same reasons. How did um, the look of Tonto come up? I mean, it's quite extraordinary. I mean, it's got a bird on his head that uh, he regularly feeds. Yeah, we were working on the screen. We were just about to start working on the screenplay and Johnny presented a, a picture of himself with the, basically that look, just a close-up with the, with the makeup and the hair and the, and the bird. And um, it was really useful then to go and, and working with Justin Haith, the writer, to sort of say, okay, well now, you know, let's, let's weave this into the story. And so it was kind of very external to begin with and then tremendous amount of depth uh, sort of created in terms of the backstory of the bird and the sort of tragedy that, you know, uh, the, the origin story, why is Tonto a little bit um, askew and his own tribe thinks he's a little mental, you know. Um, so we're kind of, there's, a, there's a backstory you see when you see the movie that sort of gives you the answers to all those questions. But it's purely just started a, as a kind of, um, as a Johnny kind of external experiment. And in terms of, of the Lone Ranger itself, you know, how did you choose what to embrace from the mythology and what to kind of like the sky blue jumpsuit leave out? 
Well, I think you, ha you have the William Tell Overture, you've got the, the silver, the white horse, you've got the hat, the mask, the, the bullet, you've got the sort of iconography of, of the character. Um, Say moral the code, yeah. Uh, I, I think just, you know, dimensionalizing it was really the, 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 it's the, the Lone Ranger traditionally, I think, was, um, you know, never deviated from that code. And, and so there was, there were some aspects of that that I just weren't going to play. Uh, from a contemporary standpoint, very two-dimensional, you know, and uh, we were we were fascinated with sort of taking that uh, idea of, you know, traditional Western um, character, almost Capra-esque character, and putting him into sort of more of a Sam Peckinpah movie and sort of colliding those worlds together. Uh, so, so we we took the the the, the main ideas of the Lone Ranger, um, but you know, you can see sort of Tonto kind of giving him the mask and. Earlier, he gives explains the bullet, and uh, you know, so it's much more of sort of Tonto's sort of demented creation. You know. Okay, I think we can uh, throw the, to the audience now to ask any questions. If you just stick your hand up and, and wait for the microphone to arrive to ask your question, so we can all hear. One question in the middle here. Hello. Um, can you tell me how many horses were used to play silver? Presumably, it was more than was more than one. Six. Yes, okay. six white horses. Thank you. Thank you very much. Each one, each one had a different skill set. So rearing, one, rearing horse. Yeah, one would rear, one would jump, one had a great gait, another one would sit still. If you fired a pistol off next to its head, it didn't even seem like it cared. Yeah, they each had one their own. great face for close-up. Yeah. Yeah. The main horse, Silver, great character. Had, the main horse had big jaws, you know, yeah. Okay, uh, question right next door. I was wondering how you all started in the film industry and what advice you'd give for someone that wanted to go into it. Well, I started in the mailroom, so uh, for an advertising agency after I graduated college and then worked my way into the television department and eventually had the opportunity to come to Hollywood and work on a film. So I started as low as you can get. And I, I went to film school at UCLA and came out and had to learn how to make a cappuccino. So <laughs> started at the, at, at the, the bottom as well and uh, um, in terms of advice I would just say to do it you know you were you're, you're looking at a movie where we had you know you know everything at our fingertips but um, you know if we when you when you have to tell a story you know we could tell this movie with sock puppets if we needed to you know what I mean you can figure out a way to tell the story get some friends um, and don't use um, you know, the limitations of uh, fiscal limitations or, or any limitations is an excuse. Just go and, and, and make a movie and then make another movie and make another movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's blue, blue blood. He just starts at the top. Yeah. No, un unlike, I mean, actually very similarly with acting, there's, no, there's nowhere to start unfortunately, but the bottom. But that's also where you learn everything and you learn all the skills that you're going to need later on. Uh, you have to start putting in the work and taking the roles with no names and then you take the roles with ridiculous names and then you finally actually get a role with a name and, and, then, uh, and then hopefully one day you get to play the title character, I guess. Do, do people still think there are two of you? Do you get stopped to go, where's your brother? Yeah, <laughs> sometimes, yeah. <laughs> not, not in the States so much because, you know, I, I think that... Uh, that kind of came and went, but definitely when we would go to you know places, like it was yeah sometimes. Good evening. My name is Vikram Chopra. I'm a filmmaker from Mumbai, 
and uh, India. I've seen so many of your movies, and it's a great honor to be in front of you. I'm actually a little nervous to ask you this question, but uh, it's it so happens that in India, many of the Hollywood movies are coming and getting released a week prior, and uh, a lot of our movies are getting affected because the Hollywood movies are doing so well. So are we going to see Lone Ranger in India on the August 9th? Because I'd love to go and watch it first day, first show. Uh, and second, if you make a sequel, you think the Lone Ranger will ever come to India? Uh, we hope it comes to India. We would like to make a sequel. That's not up to us. But I, I don't know the exact date it's opening in India, but I, I, I'm sure it is. It's opening all over the world. Thank you so much. Sure. It's an honor, sir, to sit in front Pleasure. of you. Pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Okay, I've got a question here and then one in the middle. The guy with the black T-shirt. Just as a producer-director combo, you've now tackled uh, two genres from the early days of cinema, Pirates and now the Western. I'm just wondering, had you any thoughts about uh, tackling anything else from that period, like a gangster movie, horror, or even a Busby Berkeley musical? Well, I, I don't, it's, it's weird. I d never really, um, I mean, Jerry called and said, do you want to do a pirate movie? Uh, and and I was like, well, you're not really going to get that phone call very often because the, the genre just doesn't, didn't exist. Um, uh, um, but it's not, I mean, that's sort of the exception. I think generally you kind of um, approach it from a story standpoint, you know, and, and, and this one, uh, there was something about that sort of uh, Sancho Panza, Don Quixote kind of relationship that just was worth exploring. And um, the benefit was it, it takes place in the, in the Western landscape, in the Western genre, so you bring all of that sort of, you know, language. I'm a huge Western fan, but... Uh, I don't really sort of set sail to go tackle a genre necessarily. It's sort of, um, uh, you know, you have to, you have to be able to a answer the question, why do you have to tell this story at some point? And I think if it's sort of, well, I always wanted to make a gangster movie, it's not going to get you past day 30 of your filming, you know, when everything's going wrong. I think you have to sort of get underneath it a little bit more. And then, um, so usually it's, it's something that com becomes character first. Okay, there's a question in the middle. Can you get your hand up? Just behind you. Um, what was everyone's uh, most memorable, memorable part about making this movie? Well, for me, it was the, the end train chase. Uh, I think that was spectacular. Uh, this, the filming of it, the designing, the Gore designed it, and watching it take shape, and then actually seeing it with an audience, that was uh, even a bigger thrill to, to have the people applaud at the end of it. So that was my... Uh, uh, fun part of, of making the movie and watching the movie. I would say that that was the most challenging and, and, and most rewarding in, in many ways. Um, the thing that I always remember when I think about the movie is sort of the, not so much any scene, is the sort of circling the wagons. I mean, we, we, we would film in places like Monument Valley and Canyon de Chez where there was no hotels and we would live out of our, our trailers and, and just, you know, you'd, so you'd have Jerry and Army's trailer yeah. kind of all literally and dust kicking up everywhere so they were really you know circled you know um, motorhomes circled and and campfires and guitars and and sort of camaraderie and you know everybody works hard and and then we kind of lived out of our, our our trailers and i think it sort of bonded the crew and the cast um in a way and that those were really memorable times yeah I'm, I, I have to agree with core it, it was uh just the actual experience was probably the most memorable thing you know like Jerry said, rolling into a town with a population of 250 with 600 people and taking over everything. I mean, there's not, there's not a free hotel room, there's not a free bedroom in most houses. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd shoot 
all night, we'd start shooting as soon as it got dark and shoot until it got light. And then that was our nighttime, so everyone would find a local bar and they'd open it up for us and we'd walk in and have a couple drinks and then everybody would go home, go to sleep, wake up at four o'clock in the afternoon and do it all over again the next day. And then we'd go to the next town and do it all again in a different, a different scenario, a different situation each time. It was amazing. Great, okay, we've got time for two more questions. Uh, there was one at the back there, the guy with the stripy top. Hello, my name's Pedro Pages and I have a question for Gore Rabinsky. Is that how you pronounce it? Um, I, have a qu I have a question. Do you have any good tips for you know, being a director? Because I really want to kind of be one when I grow up. Uh, well, what I was saying earlier, it's just you know, um, sort of always be shooting. I just think you know, um, everybody's sort of waiting for the perfect moment. You know, to, to, to sort of say, I'm, I don't have the script or I don't have the means or I need a conduit for this or I need a connection to get that or I need my first break and it's... It's like um, there are so many, you know, people looking for good stories, and I just think uh, every time, even if your first short film is crap, you know, get through that, make three crappy ones, you know, get to the fourth, you know, you just, you just have to um, keep doing it because, you know, we have this sort of mantra, which is uh, all, all big movies are small movies, um, and and what I mean by that is when you've got, you know. 400 extras and your, you know, trains or ships or stunts or, you know, anything's going on and you're filling that frame, uh, you don't want to get lost in, in the minutiae, you know, because you bring on your actor and you need to make your actor feel like he's the most important thing. And usually there's, there's somebody standing in front of the lens, you know, having an epiphany, you know, while all of this is happening. So you, you kind of need to always think small, even, even on these big movies and, um, you know, at the end of the day, with all of this going on, and, and certainly there's a tremendous amount of, you know, from the orchestra to to, to shooting the film to editing in the movie, um, it's usually you know seven main characters, and and you you know you could you could take that and you could set it you know on the streets of London if you, if you wanted to you know you can change the environment. So there's really no excuse not to just do it. You know, do it with your iPhone. All right. Yeah, there's it's so many easy ways to to make films now. You know, when I when I was starting the business, you know, it was expensive, <clears throat> but now you can you can do it. You know, on your on your on your computer, you can do it with your iPhone. You can do it with your with even a now still cameras. I have motion, so you have 1080p on your on a still camera. So it's 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 much easier to get started, and you learn all the editing tricks, and you get your friends as actors, or your animals as actors, or whatever you come up with, and it's. Uh, it's a lot of fun, but you got to do it. That's the key. You just got to keep doing it and doing it, because every time you do it, you learn something new. Okay. And a question for Army Hammer: How is it working with just like with as well Johnny Depp, the actor who played Butch, and Helen and Helena Carter? How is it like kind of working all with all three of them? Like, was it fun? Yeah, good time. It's kind of like when you get that perfect bowl of ice cream that has the perfect amount of vanilla, the perfect amount of chocolate and maybe like a little bit of rum raisin in there or something like that uh that would be tonto the rum raisin yeah yeah probably that's that's where i was going with that uh it's it's a treat you know you get to work with three different actors who each have very different styles uh, helena is fun and i mean you just never know what she's gonna do she's uh she's a character 100 percent. and bill fickner who played butch cavendish just seemed like pure evil. Uh, he moved like a snake 
felt like he was going to hit me in the face every time he looked at me. It was terrifying. Uh, and then, of course, Johnny was so much fun. He's so gracious, so nice, so accepting, so much more so than he would need to be. He'd walk onto set and know everybody's name. You know, and it was a, a great experience. Well, please, everybody, put your hands together for Mr. Jerry Bruckheimer, Mr. Gore Verbinski, Mr. Armie Hammer. Thank you.